Hello, I am Dr. Kirshima Murray, your host for this segment of the Danforth Dialogues season one finale. As the Chief of Staff at Morehouse School of Medicine, I am honored to discuss the rich insights shared by our guests this season. Alongside our host, Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice, President and CEO of Morehouse School of Medicine. With over 18 years in leadership development and equity advocacy, I am motivated to share innovative messages from leaders like those featured on this show who are impacting public health, community engagement, and organizational resilience during the pandemic. Now let's dive into our discussion with Mr. Andrew Witte, CEO of United Health Group. His narrative on managing a global workforce of over 300,000 employees during the pandemic is inspiring. Let's listen to a clip from this dialogue. Let me switch gears to something that you and I've had a lot of conversations about, how we manage uh, our organizations during the pandemic. So can you give the audience a little bit of a flavor for how United Health Group, a very large, over 300,000 uh, employee organization in multiple countries and also in multiple states, how did you manage with your people? Well, I think that I think the people at United um, did an, like many organisations, did an amazing job of demonstrating tremendous resilience and commitment during the period. And you know, we you're right, we had uh, over three hundred thousand people. Probably about forty or fifty percent of that population already worked from home or had some material element of capacity to work from home. Uh, but within about a week, we were able to take everybody home. And the fact that we could do that, we could equip them, we could make sure they were all online, we, we could make sure in India and the Philippines that they had enough bandwidth um, to be able to uh, connect and communicate, uh, that was a tremendous, that, that showed the strength of our technical organization and huge kudos to our technology uh, uh, people across the company. I actually think the key to all of this, though, isn't necessarily uh, technology or logistics, which, of course, are critical. I think the real key is, do you have a binding mission before the crisis? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, this is about 300,000 people who chose to want to stay super committed and engaged and who were willing to reframe their entire way of thinking and operating on behalf of the company and not to become distracted and not to become uh, unproductive and, and to choose to put our clients, our customers, our patients first. Um, I, and so I think one of the great lessons of this, of any organization, and this is why the health system was so resilient, mm -hmm. because I think people who work in the hospitals, people who work in the clinics, they have this binding mission and then, when, um, and then when, when trouble really hits, almost that brings out the very best in people and it brings out a kind of cohesiveness within an organization. And, and I think health systems have that. I think clinics have that. We are very fortunate at United to have that. Wow. Mr. Witte highlights the importance of a clear binding mission, not only for navigating through a crisis, but also for fostering a unified organizational spirit. The smooth shift to remote work, as described by Mr. Witte, goes beyond technological and logistical capabilities. It reflects a shared commitment across the United Health Group, with everyone aligned on prioritizing their clients, customers, and patients. 
This idea of a shared mission aligns well with the healthcare sector's ethos, where the primary goal is to protect and nurture lives, creating a cohesive and responsive team, especially during the challenges like the global pandemic. Mr. Witty's story is a strong reminder of how a shared mission can guide organizations steadily through times of uncertainty. As we discuss the value of a binding mission, we shift our focus to local leadership and its impact on community welfare during healthcare crises. We're moving to our dialogue with Mayor Andre Dickens, the 61st mayor of the city of Atlanta, who shares the challenges faced by communities with the closure of two significant hospitals by Wellstar. His frank discussion highlights the importance of accountability and transparent communication, both with the public and within organizational decision-making. Let's hear Mayor Dickens' insight on addressing the gaps in healthcare service delivery and the proactive measures necessary to prevent such situations in the future. Mayor Dickens' advocacy and engagement exemplify a strong leadership approach, especially in times of crisis. Roll the clip. I want to hear your perspective on how do you believe we should go about addressing and finding solutions to restore healthcare services that were lost when Wellstar made the decision to close the hospitals? And how do we avoid this ever happening again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a place where frank conversation has to behalf to hold people accountable and also to to move forward. And the truth of the matter is I was extremely disappointed in Wellstar as an organization, as people um, that live in these communities, any community around, around Metro Atlanta, you got to know the disparities. So when you allow, when you close a, a uh, hospital, you, you know what you're doing. You've just impacted an already challenged network. So you did so knowingly. This isn't like, oops, I didn't have any idea that you were sitting here with half a community that did not have a hospital, and now I just took one. It's not a oops. This is intentional. You knew this. And so we shared that 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 disappointment with Wellstar, with their board, with their leadership, and we shared it with the public because the public needs to know that an organization that knew better did, did the thing to a community, and they did it for financial reasons. Essentially, they said it was not um, making money. It did not, you know, they were losing money, so to speak. And we've done some, you know, looking into it. We we don't think they've lost as much as they said they lost. Uh, they carry some costs into some places that, well, you know, that, that, that wasn't a direct effect of AMC. But nonetheless, there was always a path out of that, though. Reinvestment, adding in other partners, support, um, you know, asking the county, the city, the state for some help. Um, none of that happened. They went to the nuclear option of closing. Reflecting on the conversation with Mayor Andre Dickens is evident that our hospital systems are critical pillars supporting communities, particularly during challenging times. The mayor's dissatisfaction with Wellstar's decision to close two major hospitals reveals a situation where financial motives overshadow the urgent needs of the community disrupting healthcare access and eroding trust in healthcare institutions. Mayor Dickens' straightforward critique of Wellstar's decision showcases a significant leadership trait, the courage to hold entities accountable for actions that negatively impact communities. 
Mayor Dickens' straightforward critique of Wellstar's decision showcases a significant leadership trait, the courage to hold entities accountable for actions that negatively affect communities. This episode highlights how transparent communication can foster a culture of accountability, essential for addressing disparities and promoting equitable healthcare systems. Furthermore, Mayor Dickens' suggestions for exploring alternative solutions like reinvestment and seeking support from local or state bodies before taking severe steps like closing hospitals emphasizes the importance of collaborative problem solving. It suggests that building a robust healthcare infrastructure demands collective efforts from various stakeholders. In conclusion, the dialogue with the mayor not only illuminates the systemic issues within our healthcare system, but also encourages a discussion on how community-focused approaches and accountable leadership can lead to more resilient and inclusive healthcare ecosystems. As we shift from local healthcare challenges discussed with Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens, we now extend our focus to a national outlook with Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the former director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Her vast experience during public health crises provides invaluable insight on leadership, navigating through uncertainty, transforming challenges into avenues for growth. Let's explore how her journey has molded a unique leadership style that emphasizes a collective mission over individual ambition. Let's talk about leadership style because that's what this podcast is really trying to convey, I think, uh, how leaders perform sometimes in, in times of crisis or in times of opportunities. Because mm -hmm. I think most crises are opportunities. Can you give us a little bit of insight about how your uh, experiences have helped you to shape your leadership style? Yeah, you know, this is, as I've been thinking a lot about this in leadership, and, and in fact, as I was even thinking about it as I was um, taking on more and more leadership at Mass General, one of the things I think people fail to realize as they're aspiring to leadership is that leadership is a selfless act. Mm -hmm. um, once yeah. you, you really have to be sort of um, you have to have given what you can to yourself. You, you can give to yourself as a leader too, but really what you're doing as a leader is leading for everyone else. And you mm -hmm. have to give it back to everyone else um, and their needs and their mission and what, what is best for an organization and the people of it is what leadership is about. It's not about power. It is about making sure you're heading in the right place for the people who are doing, for the people who you are leading. And I think that that's actually critically important. So many people think it is about the position or the self, mm -hmm. um, and it's not. It's about giving to other people. Dr. Rochelle Walensky's insights highlight the essence of authentic leadership, particularly pertinent for public health leaders navigating continuous crisis. Her portrayal of leadership as a selfless act reaffirms the core principle that effective leadership is not about self-promotion, but about guiding a collective toward shared goals. Her recount of rising through leadership ranks at Massachusetts General Hospital reveals a key narrative Leadership is about serving others, aligning their needs with the organization's mission, 
and steering towards the right direction for the collective benefit, as opposed to seeking power or position. Dr. Walensky emphasizes a crucial difference between viewing leadership as a power pedestal versus seeing leadership as a means to create a thriving environment for others. It's a call to realize that true leadership goes beyond personal ambitions, focusing more on fostering a culture where collective goals are pursued in unity. This reflection by Dr. Walensky encourages us to reassess our leadership frameworks, especially in public health spheres. It advocates for a leadership ethos rooted in selflessness, empathy, and an unwavering commitment to the greater good. Up to this point, our discussions have emphasized the value of selfless leadership in driving significant change. Now, we shift focus to Lloyd Dean, a notable figure in healthcare and CEO Emeritus at Common Spirit Health. His journey reveals how awareness of societal gaps fueled his proactive leadership. Through Lloyd Dean's story, we explore how personal observations combined with a strong desire to improve society shape a purposeful leadership path. Let's delve into Lloyd Dean's reflections on the key moments that spurred his efforts to address diversity and inclusion within healthcare and education. Where was the light bulb moment when you recognized that you could actually do something about there not being enough Black teachers or physicians or healthcare providers or social workers and you could do something about yeah. some of the social determinants of health that may influence people's ability to access to health care or to quality health care. A couple of touch points on, on my journey. Uh, one was when I uh, got into high school. And I was beginning to start, start reasoning and analyzing what I would need to do to make life better for my community and for my family, quite frankly. And I said, okay, one thing that I could do is I want to do something in health and health care. On the education front, I mentioned I didn't have a teacher of color and I go, I don't want, you know, why? But then when I was in college and after I did that, I was uh, uh, president of the student body, I met a guy that was on the board who was, uh, became the chairman and president of the Upjohn Pharmaceutical Company, which is now a great part of, of Pfizer. And one day after the student, you know, after the board meeting, the college board meeting, um, he said, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He said, you know, we, I watch you at these board meetings, and I know you're just a student. But he said, and I know that education is your thing, but he said, have you ever thought about doing something else mm -hmm. on a bigger scale? Actually, at first, I got offended because I go, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm, not, you know, I'm already on a, a big deal. <laughs> For my community, I'm a pretty big deal right now. What do you mean uh, on a bigger scale? He said, no, I think you have leadership talent. Um, I think you have this uh, understanding about, you know, and you seem to have this calling and this passion about helping other people and trying to, whether it's on this campus, do things better or different. And... 
people listen to you. And he said, I see that. Even, you know, you're the student representative to the board, and we listen at you as much as and want your opinion as much as we do other board members. And something clicked in my mind. I go, wow, I might be able to, that stuff that I dreamed about. Uh, Because growing up, I didn't have community mentors. Lloyd Dean's journey reflects a blend of personal realization and societal observation, shedding light on the broader societal gaps in representation and access to quality healthcare and education. His transition from high school to college sparked an awareness of these disparities and ignited a resolve to bridge these gaps. His early encounters with the lack of racial representation in educational settings and his foray into the healthcare realm laid the foundation for his leadership vision. A meaningful interaction with a board member brought his perspective on how leadership could significantly impact societal transformation. The shift in perspective from a community member to a leader envisioning broader change is particularly insightful. It demonstrates how personal passion, when channeled properly, can transcend into larger frameworks to affect meaningful change in crucial societal sectors. In summary, Mr. Dean's journey underlines a compelling narrative, acknowledgement of systemic inadequacies, coupled with a steadfast resolve to address them, embodies transformative leadership. It emphasizes how personal experiences, when intertwined with broader society awareness, shape empathetic leaders capable of championing diversity, equity, and accessibility. Leadership journeys are often molded by personal experiences, systemic work dynamics, and influential figures encountered along the way. Dr. Helene Gale's narrative as a prominent figure in public health and the 11th president of Spelman College sheds light on the gender dynamics within major institutions like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Despite the scarce representation of women, her ascension into CDC leadership, especially the scientific track, underscores the importance of resilience, mentorship, and paving the way for her successors. Her story reflects the evolving landscape of inclusivity and mentors' crucial role in nurturing a diverse leadership environment. Let's listen in. When you were at the CDC a while ago, I would doubt that there were many women uh, in the roles. I know you started out on a training program, but then you stayed there for 20 years. Can you share a little bit about some of the women, particularly that may have been there to influence you? Yeah, so you're right. Um, there were not many women in leadership roles. And for, in fact, I was the uh, second only woman who was appointed as a center director, which is the role, uh, you know, the highest level uh, right underneath the director of CDC. And there had not been many women in leadership roles. Um, and, you know, there were kind of two tracks at CDC. There's a management track and more the scientific track. And we actually had had more women in, in some of the management roles, but not as many women in the scientific track. So, you know, a lot of my mentors were actually men. And a lot of the people who uh, paved the way for me, like David Satcher, uh, Bill Fagey, and others, 
who saw something in me, opened doors, and um, as, as a result of that, you know, I hope I open doors for other women to to come through as well. Um, it's changed a lot now. Um, you know, we have now had two CDC directors who are women. But back in those days, we had few women in leadership roles and few people of color. I think it's something critical that you point out, though, particularly, and we talked about this a little bit last month when I was speaking about Women's History Month. I talked about the fact that mentors come in all forms, shapes, race, ethnicity, and gender. And it is really about having an alignment of thought and purpose. Exactly. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of times opening up ourselves to possibilities of people. And first of all, starting with a conversation, right? To talk about maybe where our interests align and then seeing and also understanding that mentorship is bi-directional. Dr. Helene Gale's recounting of her professional ascension at the CDC offers a keen glimpse into the evolving yet persistent challenges women and people of color face in leadership roles especially in the science field. Her journey, marked by perseverance, mentorship, and steady progression towards a more inclusive professional realm is a stirring narrative. A notable point in Dr. Gill's narrative is the distinction between the CDC's management and scientific tracks and the gender dynamics therein, shedding light on the specific hurdles women encounter particularly in the science domain. Mentorship stands out as a significant theme in Dr. Gale's narrative. Despite a lack of female mentors, the supportive male figures who recognized her potential played a crucial part in her progression, underscoring mentorship's transcendent nature over gender, race, and other societal boundaries. It's about aligned purposes and mutual growth between mentor and mentee. Dr. Gale's hope to have open doors for other women embodies transformational leadership, creating pathways for successors. The subsequent discussion with Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice further articulates the reciprocal nature of mentorship, initiating a wider conversation on shared values, inclusivity, and the importance of dialogue for personal and systemic growth in the professional sphere. Dr. Gale's narrative lays a reflective groundwork for examining how diverse mentorship and open discourse can catalyze a progressive shift in leadership dynamics towards a more inclusive and equitable professional environment. Leadership progression is a nuanced tale woven from personal desires, familial support, and community uplift. This tale is vividly told through the journey of Mr. Chris Womack, president and CEO of Southern Company. Mr. Womack's experiences illuminates the lingering disparities and gradual advancements within the higher ranks of corporate America. As one of four African-American CEOs in the S&P 100 round, Mr. Womack's story surpasses personal triumph, resonating a wider call for structural inclusivity and collective strides towards a more equitable corporate terrain. The ensuing dialogue highlights the progress made under Womack's helm at Southern Company, unveiling 
the critical elements of mentorship, opportunity creation, and the overarching ethos of diversity and inclusion driving a shared corporate growth narrative. Let's listen in. You are one of four African-American CEOs mm -hmm. of an S&P 100 company, largest public traded companies in the country. Right. You and I both know that African-Americans only represent 12% of the population, but we only represent 4% of S&P CEOs. And we got a long way to go to reach any level of parity. How do you assess the progress you've made and how you've been able to pull others along with you as you have climbed this ladder? I mean, I, I feel good about the progress we've made in terms of the number of African-Americans, the number of female officers that we have at our company today than what it was when I first joined it. I mean, there, a lot of work has been done. I've done a lot of work, but a lot of other people, other leaders in the company have done a lot of work uh, from maybe one or two. When I first started now, we're up in the probably the plus 30 ranks in terms of the numbers. And so we have made incredible progress and and looking forward to even doing even more in terms of giving people the opportunity. And 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 that's the thing I think all all across the business community is is organizations giving everybody a fair shot at them being all they can be and and supporting them uh, when they do well, but also helping them to develop skill sets that where they have to get better. And but also making sure they have champions and inside the company, make sure they're champions inside the boardroom, making sure they're champions also externally that 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 knows kind of the struggle, but also the depth of the work that, that that's getting done by these individuals. And so it's a it's a real conscious collective effort that I think that has to be done. Uh, to make sure that we continue to increase the ranks of representation inside of our company, but also increasing the ranks of representation at other Fortune 500 companies in terms of CEOs. Chris Womack's conversation with Dr. Montgomery Rice highlights the progress corporate leadership has made, but illuminates the work that is still needed to continue to diverse the workforce. The dialogue clearly contrasts the limited number of African-American CEOs in America and the significant steps taken within Southern Company under Womack's leadership to diversify upward mobility. Womack talks about an increase in African-Americans and female officers within his company, emphasizing a proactive approach to inclusivity. It's about creating a company culture that values and promotes diversity at all levels. Mr. Womack stresses the need for organizational support in skill development and having advocates in and outside of boardrooms to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. The idea of giving everyone a fair shot to showcase their potential is central to Mr. Womack's discussion. It suggests a broader support system that goes beyond the company, underlying a collective efforts towards diverse leadership across all sectors in corporate America. Moreover, Mr. Womack mentions the need for a continued effort to not just maintain the status quo in leadership, but enhance diverse representation, highlighting a shared responsibility across the corporate landscape beyond Southern Company. Womack's narrative serves as both an encouragement for the progress made 
and a reminder of the work that still needs to be done. It's a call to action for a collective effort to push for more inclusive leadership in corporate America. We'll now turn our attention to this last clip where we delve into a meaningful conversation between LaFonza Butler, president of Emily's List, and Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice, hosted live from the 2022 annual convention of the National Medical Association in Atlanta, Georgia. The discussion orbits around the empowerment and influence of women, especially within the realm of public policy. Given Butler's recent elevation to Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat, the dialogue is both topical and a reflection of the transformative shifts in the political arena. Central to this exchange is a pertinent question. How can leaders from diverse sectors support women in leadership and align with the public policy initiatives, enhancing choices for women in both the professional space and personal arenas. Let's roll the clip. So you're, you're in a room with uh, healthcare providers, uh, lawyers, uh, persons uh, who have been in the public policy uh, sector, uh, whether they've been in the mayor's office or other spaces. How do we, within our circle of influence, support those women mm -hmm. who are running for office and make sure that that's aligned with the public policy initiatives that will do something that I think is important, improve the opportunities for women mm -hmm. to continue to have choice, mm -hmm. not just in the exam room, mm -hmm. but in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Look, I, look, the obvious thing, of course, is the thing that people always ask you for is your money and your vote. Vote for the person and contribute to their campaign. I will push us to think a little bit beyond that as well. One, making sure that the person for whom you vote shares your values and the way, the be a simple way to do that, a simple and very hard way to do that is run yourself. Mm. Oh, <laughs> um, and I'm sure that there are folks in this room who have thought about it and pushed it back to the back of their mind, who thought about it again and let somebody else talk them out of doing it, uh, who thought about it again and decided that, no, I'm just going to put all of my energy behind this other person. Mm. Um, and so I, I want us to think about, the, the, again, the power of our own experiences and the agency that we have to bring those um, dreams to life for our neighbors uh, and in our community. So running for office, one. Two, you know, <laughs> Dr. Montgomery Rice said something at our table um, that, that I off, that a sentiment that I share, and you will find this contradictory from my past. Uh, not all of us are gonna be marching. Right. Um, not all of us are gonna be marching, and that's okay. Yeah. There are lots of roles to be played to in educating our community about the issues that are re most relevant to them. We were talking and sharing at, at our table about not just being in elected office, but the importance of being in appointed offices. That's right. That's right. Um, boards and commissions that are actually places where decisions get made for us 
where our experiences uh, are absent. So running for office, making sure that you examine all of the ways that you can educate your community and bring uh, and bring them uh, along. And then I, again, will not, I don't diminish at all. I in encourage us all to march and shout as loudly and as proudly as we can. It matters when we are present. However, right. being present shows up for you. LaFonza Butler's insights offer a compelling perspective on leadership, equity, and societal transformation. She passionately champions the idea that support extends beyond mere voting and financial contributions, urging listeners to consider leadership roles firsthand. It's a call to be an active participant in shaping the future rather than a passive observer. The highlight of Butler's message is the vast spectrum of roles one can assume, from running for office to educating the community. While not everyone might take to the streets and marches, everyone can have an impact. Every voice, every role, every gesture of support counts. As LaFonda eloquently puts it, being present in any capacity holds immense value. As we absorb her wisdom, let's pledge to be present, to be vocal, and to continue making a difference in our own unique ways. And lastly, let's pledge to ensure that more women are involved in public policy. As we wrap up this season of Danforth Dialogues, a huge thank you to our guests, listeners, and our amazing team at Morehouse School of Medicine supporting the Office of the President and CEO of Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice. A special thanks to Bill Marks and our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Your insights, engagement, and hard work have made this platform a space for critical discussions aimed at advancing equitable healthcare. We're so excited for season two of Danforth Dialogues. While details for the next season are still under wraps, I can share with you that we have lined up some notable guests ready to share their wisdom and experiences. We look forward to new provocative conversations with diverse viewpoints and further exploration of impactful leadership behaviors. The next season will continue to discuss important topics, highlighting how individual and collective efforts are shaping our communities. I invite everyone to stay tuned subscribe, and share the Danforth Dialogues podcast with your networks. Your engagement is key to expanding the discussions and making a difference in our society. I am Dr. Krishima Murray, your host for this final episode of season one, expressing my heartfelt gratitude for being a part of this enlightening journey. Your active involvement has driven insightful conversations and inspired actions towards a better future. Stay tuned for more engaging discussions in our upcoming season of Danforth Dialogue. Thought-provoking, action-oriented change, as well as a strong commitment to health equity. Until then, continue to explore, share, and act on the knowledge gained. Signing off with much gratitude and looking forward to more inspiring dialogues ahead. <laughs>